<laughs> Wonderful. We're starting our new series, The Story of Legends. This is exciting, isn't it? Who loves this? The Story of Legends. And uh, we, um, this is kind of Picasso. Uh, and, uh, and this is, uh, yeah, it's a very sort of arty. I love this. Uh, a lot of work went into this um, uh, the development of this idea and uh, this series. And what we want to do, we're doing with the story of legends. Uh, legends are, are kind of, they're the people that kind of speak in the background of our life. They kind of, they make the, the stories of our lives. They kind of give them some sense of hope, a sense of, well, if the leg, what did the legend do? And if the legend did it, what would they do in my life? If the, that legend was in my life, what would they do with my world? And, and we all have legends. There are, there are legends in our families, aren't there? There are a background of legends. My family um, has a reputation. The Upton family is a big family down south. I'm the youngest of six and, and we came on force. I, I have 35 first cousins uh, I have uh, 21 uh, nephews and nieces. Um, yeah, we, we breed <laughs> and uh, we take over. And uh, so we, uh, our family has a reputation and uh, everywhere I go. And, and in fact, recently I had my nephew, Ollie Upton, um, uh, preaching. And uh, so he, he was up preaching because all the other pastors, he came to pastors conference with us. Uh, and he comes from Australia. He's not known. So all the other pastors, I hear your nephew's coming. Is, is, he, is he like an Upton? So an Upton is a thing now. It's not just a person. It's an Upton is a thing. My nephew here, uh, Jonathan, he emulates a lot of the Upton things. A lot of people go, oh, he's an Upton, isn't he? And uh, by the things that he does, it's part of the Upton legend. It comes with us. There's a, my brothers, um, uh, none of whom are in ministry. Um, my, my three brothers, um, uh, none of whom are in ministry, but they're all known by the pastors. Um, the, the pastors of the INC network and, and other pastors of other networks too. They're all known, my brothers, because they help propagate the legend that we have created. But that legend is something that was formed in my father who, standing on stage in public, this thing, he, would, he wouldn't be here. My father is more like Chris Minty. You won't often see Chris. He's a very quiet man. He works uh, Judith's um, father, Hattie's uh, dad. Chris is the, the very opposite of me. Hardworking, strong, faithful. Not that, no. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> me, I talk. Chris, he works. And uh, so, <laughs> and Chris, uh, Chris is the quietest man in the church and avoids a crowd at any opportunity. And uh, that was my dad. But that's where the opposite stopped. And that, uh, where my father, he was the epitome of naughtiness. He was always up to just some prank something. He, he was always, there was always some naughtiness going on. We, my, my, Cheryl was just saying, we're talking about, uh, she was talking about skirts and ladies' skirts, and it's always an issue with ladies, how short is too short, particularly in church. How short is too short. Of course, with the guys, it's never too short, right? So it's, uh, no, darling, no, absolutely fine. It's not too short at all. So... <laughs> 
So, so, but my father, I remember as a father, mum went out, he gets, as soon as she's gone, he's looking right, she's driven off, he gets out her skirt that he thinks is not short enough, he turns it up, he cuts it short, he gets out, gets out the sewing machine. <laughs> right, that's the right length. Uh, put that back in the drawer. And uh, so, <laughs> that's my dad. He was a genius. He was amazing. He was a, he was a master craftsman, but he was always up to things. It was like life just came out full of, not, just passionate about life and, and faith and, and just came out of him. But my grandfather was a man who was a legend in my family, but I never met him. But the legend still speaks on. The legend of my grandfather, a man who started a business um, off the back of the, the First World War um, and uh, was, uh, was a craftsman. And uh, he, he established a business. He had many, many people working for him. Um, was, was, um, he built uh, his, the, own, the buildings that were housed, the, um, the removal lorries, it was a furniture uh, and removal business. They were running lorries up to Scotland from the 1930s right up into the 1970s. And that, in those days, Dad would often drive up to Scotland and it would take three days uh, to get up here in a lorry that would, wouldn't go faster than 30 miles an hour. And uh, there were no motorways. And, uh, so, and they would all sleep, just sleep in the back of the lorries. They, they used to build, they, they would build their own garages for the, to house these lorries. They even built the lorries. <laughs> they, hand, they would do all the coachwork for the lorries. you just get the cab uh, and the chassis. And then Dad, um, with my father, a grandfather, would, um, would uh, build, build these things. And, and Dad was just, but Grandfather was, um, was a man that apparently, uh, when, when things financially get tight and you've got, you know, 40 men, and you've got to pay their wages. Everyone got paid in cash on a Friday. Uh, and Friday would come, sometimes there would be no money. And so he would just disappear. He would disappear on a Friday, and he would come back with the cash. And he would just go off, and he would sell stuff. He would trade until he got enough money. So everyone always went home with a wage. And Dad came home um, one, one Friday to discover that the lounge rug, which was a particular proud piece of uh, family sort of heirloom had disappeared. Uh, Granddad had sold it to pay the wages, and uh, he, he was he, he in his seventies. He bought this old uh, cinema um, in in a town called Haywards Heath in East Sussex, and he built this. Uh, he bought this cinema. Um, it was a back projection cinema, so it had a huge, very, very, um, very uh, tall building, uh, and uh, it would a cinema with a back projection would have a huge sort of deep back to it. Uh, and uh, so the, 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 you didn't have the classic um, sort of from the, you know, you see the seats and the projector by, uh, above you. Um, it was all back projected. So, uh, and uh, so he, bu- he bought this building and the, the height of this building would have been, I don't know, 70 feet high or so. And here he is in his 70s and he climbs up the outside of the building because he can. And, uh, and because he, he was that kind of a... Mum says that she always remembers him sitting at the head of the table and come at mealtime and he would just sit there and his, 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 uh, his knife and his fork in each hand and he would just bang them on the table and he would have a sparkle in his eye, what's for dinner? And it would be, it was just, he was just full of cheek and, and, and full of naughtiness and, but full of adventure and full of life. And that's the, the legend of my family. That's the, that we all have the legends that, that come through our family. And, and legends 
are, are what kind of makes our world. They, they kind of steer us quite extraordinarily. Uh, and uh, we find in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is said before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Paul is, is saying to us, look, Jesus has gone before us. He is the ultimate legend. But with that are legends that have gone before us and they are now witnesses for our life. They sit in glory and they look at us and they are declaring over our lives and they are witnessing who we should be. Come on, let's run this race and let's run it according to the life that they lived. Now, I know that in my family, there have been many times, it would come. my father, he wouldn't leave the house without a cup of tea. Um, he, he would... Uh, he would, everyone would be running out and just as we're all going out the door, he, he would go to the arga, put on the kettle, give it a good shake, get the heat going and then make himself a cup of tea and run out with a cup as he's going out the door. And, and, and so this sort of family thing about a cup of tea. And so because of the legend, I found that I used to just drink copious amounts of tea. I still do. I drink a lot of coffee and a lot of tea. And it's because the family said I, that's what Uptons do. No other reason. We drink a lot of tea. All right then, let's drink a lot of tea. And I like tea, but maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm addicted to it. Maybe. And uh, maybe, maybe I am. But it's because of the legend. The legends steer you. They create something in you. And here's the thing about the Christmas story, is the Christmas story is written uh, about these legends. There were only... um, six different characters, two of whom are actually uh, not individuals, but people, the wise men and the shepherds. You've got Joseph and Mary, and then you've got um, uh, Zachariah, and you've got um, Elizabeth, and you've got these legends, and these legends created the Christmas story. It's incredible. Christmas, the story, the greatest story the world has ever heard. A story, but written about four specific individuals and two other groups of people. And these people create a story, their life, their humanity, their weakness, their struggles, their strengths, their their very normalness in the very normal world and how they responded to incredible and unusual circumstances. How that, that response has created a legend and that's a legend that I think we should look at over the Christmas period, you know. Um, We're going to look at Elizabeth this morning. And there's not a lot. The Bible doesn't speak a lot about Elizabeth. But we can read into what is Scripture and see what is going on. It says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 21, it says this, And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. 
Now, Elizabeth and Zacharias were old, right? They were old. And Elizabeth had been believing God for many years to have a baby, but by this point had given up. There is always a point in our life when we come to, you're believing God for something, but you come to a point, it's just like, well, it's not going to happen, I'll let it go. You know what? It doesn't matter whether you let something go or not. If you believed for something, the belief of that something, even at a point in time, the faith in your past will carry through into your future. Even in your current present state, you don't believe. Because faith continues to speak to us. If faith is not constrained by our current circumstances, attitude or mindsets. And so here is Elizabeth, and she's believing and has believed, but has since given up. She can't make it. She's too old to have a child. And here she is. And suddenly, after um, Zacharias has, has been in the temple, the angel has spoken to him, told him he's going to have a, have a son and call his name John. And um, Zacharias is... Um, uh, Zacharias, he, he, he doesn't believe it. And, and so he, he is struck dumb uh, and comes out of the temple. He can't speak, um, but his wife uh, conceives. And, and so here she is carrying uh, this child. And this child, um, who is going to be the greatest person of, in history. And what does she do? How does she respond to that? She hides herself away for five months. Well, that's not normal, is it? You know, I, I've met many people, I've got many friends who've, who've struggled to have children. What's the first thing you do? Once you get past that point, you go, wow, we're expecting. The whole world knows and the whole world celebrates with you. Why wouldn't Elizabeth go out there, maybe wait two or three months, just go, I genuinely am pregnant. <laughs> this is real. Why, why wouldn't she? Why wouldn't she stick it in the face of everyone who's looked at her and gone, hmm, must be something wrong with you? Why, I mean, I would think if, if, if I were Elizabeth, and I'm struggling to imagine that concept, right? But if I were her, I would think this would be my mindset. Having, having struggled with years of kind of like disapproval, imagining in that age, not having children was... was it was almost considered there was something wrong with you. Perhaps you sinned, something about you. It was that kind of ridiculous mindset. If I were her, I would be like, in your face. <laughs> Wouldn't you? That would be, you're old and wrinkly. You're finished. I am pregnant. <laughs> but Elizabeth doesn't do that. Elizabeth hides herself away at a time when she should be celebrating. She takes herself away into the presence of God. She takes herself away for something and something begins to shift and change in her life because she's believed God for something. That thing which she's believed God, now the answer has come. This awakening has happened in her and this is the awakening the awakening is this. It's not just about having a baby. You see, we always see the answer to our prayer as the end result. If I can get this breakthrough, if I can get this job, this seals it for me. 
But with God, every breakthrough of prayer is the beginning of something else. For Elizabeth, this was now the beginning of something, and so she didn't have time to just put it in the face of everyone who had accused her. She didn't have time to celebrate. No, she had to take herself away because God was preparing something for her far more magnificent than just having a baby. You see, her five months of quietness, her five months of just being hidden away was about her preparation for what God was going to do in her life. You see, every breakthrough we have in our life comes with an opportunity. You see, when God answers prayer, it's never, never the end. It's always the beginning. It says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, it says in verse 12, and it says, this is when Jesus was walking through and he he comes to a place where there are ten lepers. And it says in verse 12, Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when they saw him, they said to him, Go show yourself to the priest. So it was as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorify God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, ten lepers were healed. Nine of them are what we would call today consumerist believers. A consumerist believer is someone that comes to God to receive but never brings anything back. Never gives into the house, just takes from it. Always, God, give me this. Lord, give me that. We've got to be good at receiving, but if we don't know how to give back, then we never live in the fullness of what God has got for our life. So here we have ten lepers. Nine of them are consumers. They just consume. They just, they were caught up in the moment Their healing was the end for them, not the beginning. That's all they had in their mind. Just be healed. Just be healed. Here is a leper who's got something else in his mind. He doesn't understand the full consequences of it. But here is a leper who is a Samaritan who comes back and worships Christ as his king. And his life changed. His healing changed everything for his life. And because he came back, his life changed with opportunity, but also with trouble. You may say, well, how do you work that out? Well, here's the thing, right? When God comes through for an answer into your life, there comes an opportunity. Opportunities are exciting moments in our life mixed with all kinds of potential trouble along the way. That's, that's the thing about an opportunity. You don't know. It's like, whoa, how do I n- navigate through these things? But God wants you to walk through it, but there's always trouble along the way. And so here are these nine, 
They're just healed. They're just going off. They're just doing. They're now living their own life. But here is this Samaritan, and he comes back and worships. Jesus says to him, what are you doing here? You're a foreigner. Jesus calls him a foreigner because he's a Samaritan was part of a sect that um, had a dispute with the Jews over the rabbinical sort of teachings, and they had a whole different concept about um, who God was and, and how to worship. And they, it was really argued about the worship was about this mountain or the temple. Um, and here's this Samaritan, and by coming back and worshiping Jesus, he's giving himself a problem with being a Samaritan. Samaritans were very proud of being Samaritans. There are still Samaritans today. Not many of them. Last I, I actually was doing some research on Samaritans, and they, they said there were 777 at the beginning of January 2015. I went, ooh. <laughs> One could read something into that. But then supposing one died. And uh, so, <laughs> or one got born. You'll be 778. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, there aren't many Samaritans. But here's the thing about the Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. His family was Samaritans. His friends were Samaritans. They were all Samaritans. His, his, his future life and just being healed, he just go back to the Samaritans. But he didn't go back to the Samaritans. He went back to Christ. And by going back to Christ, how do you go back to the Samaritans? Because now life isn't about worship on the mountain or worship in the temple. Life is now about worshiping Jesus Christ the King. It's about a different kind of world. And it means that his whole future projection is going in a different, different place. It means that he didn't just get healed. He got a whole new life. He got a whole new destiny. He got a whole new opportunity. He came back after the breakthrough and came back and gave it back to Christ and worshipped him and suddenly inherited the fullness. You see, when you ask for an answer in prayer, that answer is only actually the seed for an incredible life that God wants to give to you. When this church in 1999 was given £125,000, you think that's a lot of, that is a lot of money. Even today, that's a lot of money, isn't it? A lot of people would like that, but we were given it miraculously. It came by a donation of a person who passed away who didn't know us. And it came miraculously and we were like, whoa, thank you, Jesus. First thing we did, wrote a check, 12,500, sent it down to Pastor Ashley, who was buying a building in Brighton. They bought a building, sent it to them. And then we invested it so that it would give us a grant. What did, it, what did that 125? Well, that wasn't the answer for prayer. It was the beginning seed for this, for... a. a an amazing work of God that has seen many, many people's lives changed. You see, when you pray for something, have to understand that what you're praying for is not the thing that you think you're praying for. You think you're praying for a new job. You think you're praying for a healing. You think, but God is saying to you, yeah, it isn't about that at all. It's about what comes because of that. It's about the future of what that is bringing to you. You see, Elizabeth... She came to a place where she had to give her life 
to Christ and give it back to Him. It says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how great I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in discernment. Here's the thing. Paul is saying, look, God started a work in you. To complete it, there has to come a process in which we take part. He's completing a work in you. To complete it, we have to give everything that He gives to us back to Him. That what we give back to Him becomes and multiplies something else. The life that we give. When Elizabeth spent five months in prayer, she was being prepared... Not for her son, John. She was well capable of raising him. But she was being prepared for Mary and Jesus. See, what happened is Elizabeth, there's not much written about Elizabeth. There's this scripture here. And then let me just finish with this. Luke chapter 1, verse 36. Mary has discovered she's pregnant. She's a teenager. Elizabeth's an old lady. Her relative, Mary, is a teenager. Um, that people say, oh, she was 16. I've heard more recently they're saying she's probably 12 or 30. People make stuff up, right? They've no idea how old she was. We assume she was a teenager. Right? Luke 1.36 says this. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old, in her old age. This is the angel speaking to, speaking to Mary. And this is now the sixth month for her also who was called barren. For God, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste for a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke with her loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which are, were told her from the Lord. Now, two facts you need to understand about this. Number one, Mary didn't know that Elizabeth was expecting until the angel told her because Elizabeth had hidden herself away and she lived in another town. They didn't have Facebook. <laughs> All right? Number two, Elizabeth didn't know that Mary was expecting because they didn't have Facebook. Until she walked through the door. But Elizabeth had spent five months, six months by this point. Six months. I worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, come back to life. (laughs) Someone just died. It's all right. (laughs) They're always doing it. So, Mary, Mary had come 
to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth had spent time in the presence of God. She had spent time giving back to God. And because she was giving back to God, she was in the right place to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as she's filled with the Holy Spirit, revelation of Mary's condition and what is happening starts to flow out of her heart. Imagine the state of Mary. Mary knows that an angel has made her pregnant. The Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. The angel has told her. Mary knows that that's the case, but she doesn't know what's going to happen to her because if you're a virgin and you're pregnant, you're stoned to death. All right? So, so this is dangerous territory. She doesn't know. She doesn't know what her family are going to do. Your family reject you. Family cast you out. But she goes to Elizabeth because the Lord has told her to. She needs... Mary needs Elizabeth and Elizabeth has given herself to God because of the answer to prayer. She gives herself to God and Elizabeth becomes the minister filled with the Holy Spirit to minister to a young woman who is expecting a child who will save the world. This was the most critical point in history right here. And what happened is that God invested all of history into two women, an old woman and a teenager. And the rest of the world has been changed because of these two women. He comes down and he fills Elizabeth and she leaps, her baby John, he leaps with joy. I'd imagine her baby leaps all the time, right? So it's like he leapt for joy because of the Holy Spirit. Clearly it was more than a leap. The Holy Spirit filled her and revelation flowed out of her and she begins to prophesy over Mary. She begins to minister to her. She begins to give to Mary the purpose for which she has come and Mary starts to relax and begins to prophesy herself and speak out of the joy of what God has done in her life. Until this moment, we don't read of any celebration or great declaration of Mary's life. Then Mary is released in the gift that has been given to her because of what Mary had do- Elizabeth had done. And Elizabeth could only have done that because she went back to God and God went, God, you've given me the son, now what? What do I do now? You see, when God comes to your life, He wants to meet with you. But when he meets with you, when you receive that gift, when when God comes through with you, he comes through with small things and we just go, thank you, Jesus, for that, and carry on. But God wants us to go, thank you, Jesus, now what? Because with every breakthrough comes an opportunity for something far more magnificent. And that's what Christ wants to do in our life. He wants us to understand Elizabeth is a legend of the Christmas story because of how she ministered to Mary and how she prepared Mary for what would be the most extraordinary life that has ever been lived. You see, we have to understand God is coming through in our life in many places. And every time He comes through, He's not giving you the answer to your prayer. He's giving you the beginning of a life you have no idea what it holds. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but God has got much greater plans. The thoughts he has for us, we cannot comprehend. Amen? Let's stand up, shall we?
Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have caused your presence and your anointing to sweep through this house and to minister to us, to touch us with your grace and with your hope. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you quicken us to sow quickly, sow back to you without hesitation everything that you give to us let us bring it back everything that you have done for us let us return it into your presence that we may discover what is coming next I thank you Lord that there is more that is there for us there is a next there is another I thank you Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come. I believe some of you have struggled. You've had God meet with you, but you've really struggled. The Holy Spirit is saying, just come, just give it back to me right now. Even if you're 10 years late, give it back to me. Even if you, you settled with something, we've never been called to settle We've been called to grow and live in Him. We give it back to Him. He wants to do something new. Whenever we settle, we become stale. But when we give it back to Him, a fresh flood of the Holy Spirit flows through us. We begin to prophesy and speak out a new life. We begin to minister in ways we couldn't possibly comprehend. I thank you, Holy Spirit. A new devotion. A new life of giving and worship. Giving our heart, our mind, our imagination, our time, our creativity. Holy Spirit says to you, there is a genius that he has wrapped inside of you. There is a brilliance of his gift that is in your life. Bring that gift back to the feet of Christ and a new life will unfold for you. A greater exaltation, a greater lifting up, a greater burden, a greater responsibility, a greater joy and opportunity. Father, I pray as come stand before you this Christmas let this be a radical turning point in our lives. In your mighty name, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Yes. 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 Mm. You know, if there's anyone here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you never made that commitment. I really would encourage you to make that. We've all made that commitment here at some point.